0: It makes me very, very happy, and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with, and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Simply Fit podcast. Today we have got as always, three very exciting topics to go through. I'm going to get started with the nutrition question, then dive into the training and finish up on the mindset question, which is specifically about setting realistic goals. But today we're going to dive in first with the nutrition question, which is this. How do I create a diet for myself? And I'm sure a couple of you are thinking right now, why would you possibly answer this question? Isn't this what people pay you for? And yes, of course, you know, my part of my job is to give you a meal plan to provide you with a personalized training plan. Of course, you'll get that. But that's not my job. That's not what coaching is. My job is to give you clarity, support, guidance, accountability, techniques and strategies that help you to get from A to B in the most effective and safest manner possible. Along with that, it's to get you through the struggles on your journey, to use my experience that you so you don't have to make the mistakes that I did or make any of the mistakes that my clients make. My job is to leave you in a position where you feel educated and empowered. Like I'm not a macronutrient calculator, I'm not a robot, and I absolutely have no issues at all with sharing this information. Because at the end of the day, my scope and my practice is far more than just giving you a few numbers, right? So some coaches. They might want to keep this close, this information close to their chest, but for me, if it helps someone, if it allows someone to create their nutrition plan today, then that is worth it for me. And a final point I will think is worth making before we go in is information without implementation means very, very little. So I actually heard a quote from Les Brown recently that stopped me in my tracks. And just to preface this, I wouldn't personally use the word skinny, but this is what he said. He said, If information could change people we'd all be skinny rich and happy. Information will help some people, it will, but it's only one very very small part of the battle so I hope that this empowers people who need it and are ready to apply information they receive because of the application is the most important part. So let's dive into it and again just a few points I need to make before I begin. The numbers I'm going to give you here. They will work for the general population, those who are relatively sedentary, those who maybe aren't eating very consciously at this moment in time. This is who I'm creating this for today or giving you the context for. If you do any of these calculations but you're making progress on higher calories at this moment in time, don't change anything. Stick with what works for you. Next up, if you are midway through your diet and you're currently on lower calories than, you know, potentially this calculation gives you, there's no need to bump these up, right? There's a lot of factors to consider. Genetics, the amount of muscle you have, your metabolism. This is all about establishing a baseline. And just to preface this as well, this is if you maybe want to just get a little bit leaner, drop a little bit of body weight, this is who it's for today. So just to give you that context, it's really not as black and white as it sometimes sees. So the first thing you want to do is take your body weight in kilos. So find out what that is and then times this number by 2.2 as that will give you your body weight in pounds. Now what you want to do with the number you've got in pounds is to times this number by anywhere between 9 and 11. Right? You could also actually times it by 8 and 12 but I think for most people between that nine to 11 mark is the most practical. And now you've got your daily calories, right? So the weight in pounds that you are, plus nine, 10 or 11, that will give you your daily calories. So now you want to go back to your weight in kilos. So anywhere between 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo is gonna be relatively good uh, for a fat loss phase. So if you're only eating around 50, 60 grams of protein at the moment, that might be a big jump So I potentially wouldn't go down that route. If you want to start on 1.8, fantastic. However, I would be very mindful because it is quite hard to bump up your protein that much, especially if you're not used to it. So just adding 10 to 30 grams more is probably going to be quite sufficient. And I don't think it's sometimes realistic to make much more of a jump than that. If you're a meat eater and you're already eating around 100 grams or so, like that calculation of 1.8 might be fine, but if you're vegan, vegetarian, or just not used to protein, then just bumping it up a little bit will be valuable. So the number you'll get by either increasing where you're currently at between 1.8 and 2.2 will give you the amount of protein that you are going to aim for on a daily basis in grams. So to give you some context here, one gram of protein equals four calories. So what you want to do with the number that you've got is times it by four and whatever the total is, that's the protein calorie number. And all you need to do now is minus that from your total calories, which was the number when you times your body weight in pounds by nine to 11. So if you minus the amount of protein grams you have times four, that will give you the calories left for carbs and fats. Hopefully you're still with me here. So the next thing we want to do is establish fats. From a hormonal and general health perspective, fat is a biggest priority to us than carbs. So what I would usually use is a rough framework of taking your weight and then timesing this by, in kilos just to specify, by 0.6 to 0.9. So if you're on the lighter side, if you are maybe like between 45 and 55 kilos, I would opt to keep this closer to 0.9. However, if you're heavier, then you're probably fine with the 0.6, 0.7 range. So now with that number, you have your fat macros, right? So we got your protein, now we've got your fat. And we now know that, I'm gonna give you this information if you didn't know already, one gram of fat is worth nine calories. So it's slightly more calorie dense than protein and carbohydrates, which I'll go through in just a second. So what we wanna do is times that number by nine, and now we've got our fat calories. So now we have our protein calories, now we have our fat calories, and if we add these together, and then we minus the very first number of the total calories for our day, we've got a remaining amount of calories, right? And all we need to do now, because we know that one gram of carbs is four calories, is divide that number by four. And then you'll have the total amount of carbs you have, and then you have your daily macros. So you can, you know, move around the amounts of fat and carbs you have. So if you prefer higher fat foods, you might want to bump it up a little bit and reduce down the carbohydrates or vice versa. But the one thing that I wouldn't do is push the fat too low. Just as I said before, we want to keep you in a good place from a hormonal and health perspective. And yes, carbohydrates are important as well. Um, So you don't want to be going too low on either of those. But I would generally be very mindful about how low you go with your fats and try and not go beyond that 0.6 mark that I made. So that is a very simple way of creating a baseline diet for yourself. So the next thing you do here is you just create a plan based on those numbers that you have. So you look for foods that you would consume on a day-to-day basis. And my advice here when creating a nutrition plan is to pick the protein source first. If you're not used to eating protein, as I mentioned earlier, if you're not a regular meat eater, then it's not gonna be that easy and it's not gonna come as naturally. However, (laughs) carbs and fats, they come naturally to all of us. All we need to do is eat two donuts and we could probably cover our carbs and fats for the day. So start with protein. The second step after that for me is vegetables. So go for those two first. That's a good place to begin. And then just add in the amount of carbs you want during that meal and the amount of fats that you have. And I'm big on a relatively equal spread throughout the day. I'm not a big fan of having maybe like a 100 calorie breakfast and then like a 900 calorie dinner. I'm big on just trying to keep it in and around the same mark. Let's say your daily calories are 1700, then each of your meals should be around 4 to 500 and you might want to leave a little bit left over for snacks. And then I'd also just lean towards your preferences. You know, if you don't have much time to eat in the day, maybe a quick and lower calorie breakfast does work for you because if you want to sit down and enjoy your food in the evening, but you don't want to backload too much. Like I said, you don't want to do the 100 calorie breakfast and 900 calorie dinner. You do want a relatively equal distribution. And then when it comes down to the snacks, I am much more of a fan when it comes to dieting of keeping to whole round meals, you know, just having three set meals because I find that you snack less and I actually find that those people who snack more tend to do not as well when they diet. They don't do as well on their fat loss processes. So that's a couple of things to take note of there and I want to make a few final points. So the number that you have that I just gave you and the macros that you have is just a baseline. It might be too high. It might be too low. So you can adjust these numbers if you need to. And I would use your scale weight if your goal is weight loss to basically work that out and just see how that goes. The second thing, what you want to do is think very long term here, right? So starting lower calories. So if you times it by nine initially might help you lose weight quicker. That's the truth. But where do you go from there, right? So if you start your calories on like 1200, where do you go? three months down the line, four months down the line. So be strategic about this. It's better to start at the minimum effective dose. If you can lose weight at a higher number of calories, go for that. That's what I would definitely do. Next, if you prefer not to work all of this out and it does seem like a bit of a headache, which to be fair, it can do, and there's probably more things important in your life to think about, get a coach or someone who knows what they're doing. And finally, this is an extremely subjective topic, right? So there will be some people out here who are listening to me and absolutely disagreeing with everything that I just said. And that is totally fine. There are many ways. I don't like this, this phrase, but I don't know if there is one similar. But there are many ways to skin a cat. <laughs> you get what I mean, right? So just bear that in mind. And that's pretty much everything you need to know. So next question. How do I create a training program for myself? No, just kidding. I'm not going to go through that. So let's move on to the next topic, which is a training question, but not that one. And something that I've come up against recently and a lot of my clients have as well. And I find that the more that we're sitting, the more that we're potentially doing new exercises like running and everything like that, we're finding ourselves a lot more stiff, a lot more sore, a lot more tight you know, a lot more aches, niggles, and pains. So this next question is very, very valuable. So I find stretching and mobility work incredibly boring. How do I get myself to do it? And I'm going to put my hand right up here. Like I wish I loved to stretch. Like I know how beneficial it is and I know how much more mobile I could be. I would love to do the splits, but I just don't, you know, it's just something I don't love. But because I don't actually like doing it, it actually makes me the best person to answer this question, right? It's like asking a lazy person, like, what's the quickest way to get to the shop? Like, they're going to know, right? (laughs) So I'm a good person to ask here. So I want to go through my five top ways uh, to get yourself to stretch more and ultimately get more mobile. So first tip, and this is my tip for a lot of things, is committing to the minimum effective dose. When we think of wanting to make a significant improvement, like me going from... You know, barely being able to reach my toes to being able to do uh, the splits. Right? We tend to look at like, what's the most that we can do? And I get a lot of people. You know, when they get started with me, they're like, I want to train every day. And realistically, three to four times a week is more than sufficient. And it's also just going to be more realistic with people's uh, schedules and also sustaining it long term. Right? So I am a big fan of getting the most out of the least. And in this type of area, it is going to require you know a lot less time. So there will be a lot less resistance to do it if you only have to do it three or four times a week versus six, right? So I would find out the absolute minimum you need to do to make progress in this area. And for me, like I shared this on Instagram the other day, that pre-workout and pre-run, like I stretch and mobilize for the length of two or three songs. That is literally it. And when I pair it with music, it's a way more pleasant experience, especially when I put Avril Levine on and I play it out loud. (laughs) So if you want to do more, you can always add, right? So But I think going in with like a very, very low barrier is going to be way more valuable because it is quite often getting started. That's usually the hardest part. Once you're in it, then you can definitely add more. And stretching is probably one of those situations where adding more isn't necessarily going to be too detrimental and it will be quite beneficial. Whereas like adding, you know, going from four training sessions per week to six you know, just due to recovery capabilities might not be ideal, but stretching might be one way. A little bit more time on mobility will be valuable, but get started with the minimum effective dose. Number two, this kind of ties in with what I just mentioned. Do it whilst doing something you enjoy, right? You can do it with music. You can do it whilst you're watching TV in the evening. I used to do that quite a lot, and that was quite a good one. You can do it when you're chatting to your partner, your housemates, or even when you're talking on the phone. It's something you can do quite passively. And if you've got something that you're like genuinely enjoying to distract you whilst you're doing it, you'll be amazed at how fast time flies. It's like when you, you know, talk on the phone and you're on a walk and you end up like three miles away from your house or you're listening to a podcast and then you're like, oh, wow, that went quickly. So pair it with something that you enjoy. The next up, this works almost for everything get some accountability. Like tell people you're making a commitment to doing more mobility work. Like announce it to your family and ask them to hold you accountable to it. Announce on social media, post on your Instagram story every time you stretch. Like I'm doing a similar thing with my running at the moment and I'm posting every single run that I complete. And I haven't made like an outright commitment, but I've posted and I've spoken about it at length. I've spoken about it on the podcast as well. And I'd certain if, like, for instance, this week I didn't post anything about running, I'm pretty sure someone would reach out and say, hey, how's the runs going this week? Or something along those lines, right? And it just gives you that trigger to remind you. So that extra form of social accountability can be really, really valuable. And if you have a coach, ask them to keep you even more accountable with it as well. Or even do it with a friend who wants to start doing it and like keep each other accountable. Like I think a good idea could be even like FaceTiming as you do it. And it'll be a good time to, you know, catch up with each other whilst you're both making progress on your mobility goals. And the fourth, this one is when the laziness really kicks in, which is outsourcing. It might not be as easier whilst we're in the middle of a pandemic, but like get yourself a massage or use something like a Theragun. Um, which you can do at home and it's a lot easier. So if you really don't like doing it, or potentially you just don't have the discipline to commit to it every single day, like book in regular massages. And like I said, for the time being, get yourself a Theragun or schedule in a hot and cold therapy sessions, get a foam roller at home. And you know the beautiful thing about money is that you can often pay your way to do most things, right? You can outsource a hell of a lot. So if you don't like the idea of sitting at home and doing it by yourself, and massages are going to really, really help. And it's going to be like one a pretty intense session of increasing your mobility and you're kind of injury proofing yourself as well. And then, like I said, like a foam roller or something along those lines or a Theragun can be really good because you're just kind of switching it on or sitting on the foam roller or rolling around on the foam roller. And it kind of does the work for you. So that'll be a good, really lazy way, lazy man's way of doing it or lazy woman's way of doing it. And another one to do here is what I used to do quite a bit is um, going to a class instead. When I really wanted to do it, when I really wanted to commit to stretching, but I was just, I just didn't maybe make it a priority to factor in my day every single day. I signed up for a yin yoga class and for one hour a week, I'd hold like X amount of stretches for like four minutes or more. And I loved that part of my week. I actually miss it at the moment. And it was a really good way of just getting an intensive stretching session in. Again, you have that form of accountability because you book the class. You have no way of leaving midway through. You're literally there solely to stretch and to be mindful and it worked really well for me. So if you are someone who knows that if I commit to a class or something like that, I'm gonna get it done, then totally do that. So the fifth and final way that will help you commit to stretching and getting mobile is remember why you were doing it in the first place. I actually posted this on IG again recently, like there will be a lot of things that you don't like doing when you are committing to a goal, but it's really, really important we focus on the upside rather than the downside, right? Stretching for me isn't that fun, but I will tell you what's even less fun for me, being in pain, not having effective runs or workouts, or worse comes to the worst, being injured, right? When you actually think about the cost and the downside of these, The stretching really doesn't seem that bad at all. And, you know, the trade-off is quite a small one in reality. Same way it goes for like a health and fitness journey, right? Eating, I mean, let's say you commit for a fat loss phase for six months or so. Six months instead of potentially having health conditions that are going to be a challenge for three, four, five years to reverse those. You know, that's a big trade-off compared to just those 6 months that you would have committed to a fat loss journey and almost the quality of life let's say you live 20 to 30 years of you know not great health and not as great of a quality of life Compared to just six months of committing, then a very uh, short term commitment to sustain that long term. Massive in terms of the difference in and the trade off, right? So it's always good to put that into perspective and that will help you commit to something that's quite small. Focus on the upside versus the downside. So that is your way to get more mobile, get more stretching in your life and be on your way to know putting your leg behind your head and maybe not quite that far right let's get into the last question which is the mindset one this one for me is incredibly important so how do I set realistic goals for my fat loss or weight loss journey and I say this is really important because we live in a very very fast-paced world it's very much all or nothing I want it now which is great in many ways but also A little bit challenging when it comes to something like your health and fitness right and i have elements of this in me and so do the majority of us as well it is pretty challenging to keep it under control at times but if we live with this mentality and create goals from a place of like i want it now i want it now it's going to make it very hard to make this sustainable and achievable in the first place so i want to go through how i would break this down for a client i would work with how would i break it down for myself And I think step one here is to find what the long term goal actually is. Like I'm a very big fan of reverse engineering, like starting with a vision of where you want to be then working backwards to discover what's actually required the individual steps that we need to do to get there. So I would start with maybe like a six to 12 month vision and ask yourself the question, because this is different for everyone. What does success look like to you? And it doesn't have to be necessarily a metric based goal. But metrics are fantastic because they can help us quantify progress. And we actually have something tangible to work towards. And that's very useful for us people who really want that fulfillment and sense of progress, right? So let's say that you're currently at 60 kilos. This is just for me an easy maths, right? You know that when you were in your 20s, you were at about 50 kilos. And that was a very, very comfortable weight for you. So you don't actually care about you know the 10 kilos of weight per se, but you want to feel how you did in your 20s again. You want to feel more confident, self-assured, and you don't want to feel about, you know, have to worry about how you look in the dress or feel if you're, you know, you have to loosen your belt buckle a little bit, right? So we now have ourselves a 10 kilo goal. Irrelevant in terms of the actual number itself because we're focusing on the feeling, but the metrics are helping us quantify things, right? So for myself, and the clients i've worked with we have found that a 1% drop of body weight per week tends to be pretty realistic. This is where asking someone with experience would be really valuable as you know a lot of people will come to me in the beginning and you know potentially they have these 10 kilos to lose or whatever it is and they're like okay i want to do this in 6 to 8 weeks. And you know potentially you could do this, right, but it'd be pretty extreme, it's unlikely to be sustainable and it's un- yeah, it's just unlikely that you're going to keep off this way so we also want to think about that and not only how long it takes to get there we want to factor in you know actually sustaining this goal as well so for us and the coaching team that i work with the reverse dieting is incredibly important because we need to focus on not only the time it it takes to get in shape but how long it takes to get in shape to stay in shape and feel comfortable about sustaining your result long term right so if we do the maths At the 1% mark, we're looking at 16 weeks from that 60 kilos to 50 kilos. Some weeks we may drop faster, some weeks we might drop slower. And we may even have weeks where, you know, let's say adherence isn't sky high. So let's give us 14 to 18 weeks to get to that 50 kilo mark. Now the reverse diet, a bare minimum, like a real bare minimum for me is four weeks. Ideally, I'd say six. And in some cases it's eight or even longer. So the shortest we're looking at here, if we go based on the four... Um, And 14 weeks for fat loss and reverse dieting is 18 weeks. And that's on the premise that you're extremely focused, you want to be in and out ASAP, you're highly adherent. And then obviously the longest we're looking at if, you know, potentially we factor in some weeks where we're not completely adherent and we always, we know that fat loss isn't a linear journey. So we're looking at somewhere between 18 weeks at the shortest and 26 weeks at the longest. So on average, it's 22 weeks. And now we're roughly looking at a five to six month journey. And as I mentioned, this is if you are adherent and hit the mark every single week, which, as I've just mentioned, the fat loss phase isn't linear. And this isn't the only thing to consider. We want to to consider things like this, your current commitment levels, the amount of time you're willing to allocate, your previous experience, because that's going to make a difference. How your levels of motivation work? Do you know that you're highly motivated in bursts or you can sustain that motivation throughout? Knowing this is, you know, highly, highly important. Uh, Next one, how important is this to you right now? Next one, what phase of life you're in? You know, that can make a big impact. Someone who's in their 20s versus in their 40s or in their 60s, they're in very different phases of their lives. Next is how receptive for feedback you are. You know, if I give you some guidance, are you going to action that straight away? Or is that just going to kind of bounce off the surface, It's going to take a few weeks for you to learn the lesson? Next is your mental health as well, like sometimes there will be times in the past where a diet might have been easy for you but right now your day-to-day activities are overwhelming you because your mental health isn't in the best place and all these things will play a role. If you're experienced, committed and it's highly important to you then 22 weeks might be realistic and sufficient but if you're short for time, you have very little experience, potentially your mental health isn't in a good place. Will placing the minimum amount of time to achieve the goal do you any favours? Like really putting that extra pressure on you? I'm guessing not. So you really need to be honest with yourself and understand, you know, how your motivation works and how all of these things are going to factor your journey, right? I've spoken about this before. Like you might feel 100% fired up to get going because of that is often when people get started, they get that trigger, they get that feeling, they get that photo taken of them or whatever it is. But that feeling can disappear in one to two months, and then what? You may also have the best intentions, you know, with your timing and to commit. But let's say your workload is set to increase, your first child is on the way. It's so important to factor these things in because they make a big difference in terms of the length of the journey and setting you those realistic goals. Right. So now that we've had an opportunity to take a fair assessment of our lives, where we're currently at, we can now set the timeline, whether it is 22 weeks, whether it's 28, whether it's even longer than that average amount that I just laid out for you. And now we have a timeline and now we just want to start working backwards. And we want to do this by creating stepping stones. Right. So, for example, again, we'll take the 60 to 50 kilo example. We potentially could set 2.5 kilo mini goals. That can be fun because it's actually realistic, it doesn't seem too far away, like a jump of 10 kilos seems like a lot, but 2.5 seems realistic and it's actually going to make it a lot easier. I'm always a big fan of telling people like, don't look at the top of the mountain, look at each individual checkpoint, take step by step because ultimately you're going to get up that mountain, but you have to get past those checkpoints first. So on paper, we know that that's going to take roughly four to five weeks. So if this person started on the first week of January, then their goal might be to reach 47.5 kilos on, oh no, sorry, 57.5 kilos by the end of the first week of February. And then once you reach this mini checkpoint, you can reassess, maybe you're ahead of schedule, maybe you're behind on schedule. And this will be a good time to check and see if you're still happy with the pace of your plan, or potentially you might need to adapt. So, Let's summarize these points here just to help you in setting up your goals and ensuring that you are being realistic and you're setting very achievable targets. So the first thing is work out what the ideal is in terms of what does success look like to you. That is one of my favorite questions to ask people when they get started. Next is try and place some metrics around this. As I mentioned, the metrics aren't always the most important thing, but they're very, very helpful in allowing us to measure things and quantifying things accurately. The next, reverse engineer from your ideal goal, what success looks like to you, and establish that rough timeline. Next step, this is probably one of the most crucial aspects in terms of setting your expectations and ensuring that, you know, you don't set yourself up for disappointment along the way, which is, Being honest about your ability to commit, understanding the phase of your life, understanding your motivation levels, and be really realistic with yourself here. If you're expecting your first child, will you be able to give 110% versus when you have no children at all, right? These things need to be factored in and considered. The next one is to set mini goals to work towards. Looking up to the top of the mountain, it can be motivating at times, but it can also be very, very daunting. And you're gonna to have to work towards each checkpoint anyway. So it's better to look towards those because they, they're they're within reach, they're closer, and you know, you're gonna be able to celebrate those wins because that's gonna be progress. And once they all add up, they will take you to the top of the mountain. And then the final thing, when you do get to those individual checkpoints, reassess things change, life changes. You know, you might have like started with the best intentions, but you have realized that you know you've had all of these deadlines put on your plate, you've got You know, you potentially you have a a child coming and you didn't realize they were coming. You know, anything can come up and we need to be realistic at every single step of the journey. And those checkpoints, you know, they can be a good time to reassess whether we push harder, pull back a little bit or whatever the next move is. So that is how I would go about setting some realistic targets to set yourself up for success. And that is the three questions covered today. I feel like I've been very concise and very to the point. So I hope that that was valuable for you. And like I said, it's a very tactical episode today. So I hope that you've got plenty to take away that you can apply to your health and fitness journey and set yourself up for success. So that is everything from me today, guys. It has been lovely to speak to you all and I will look forward to speaking with you all on the next episode.